Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hello, 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 happy hour listeners. Today's May 20th and you're listening to episode number 298 and we have a great show in store for you. I hope that you are hanging in there. I hope you know that with every show that we make, we think of you and I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for listening to our show. But first, I want to tell you something fun. I told you last week that we've got some fun shareables over on my webpage, jamieivy.com slash celebrate, or follow me on social media at jamieivy to find them. Every week we're doing something fun, especially during this birthday month. We're giving away some happy hour swag to one person who has shared one of the happy hour shareables for birthday month. And this week, the winner is Aisha Barber. Her handle on Instagram is at Aisha Cartina. Aisha, thank you for being a listener of the happy hour and sharing with your friends who your favorite happy hour guests have been. You picked two ladies that I love so much as well. You picked my friends, Kim Lewis and Lori Crouch. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I highly recommend you listen to them. Aisha, give us an email at podcast at jamieivy.com with your address and t-shirt size, and we have got some goodies coming your way. You guys, that's two weeks we've given away stuff. You too can win something. Go check out the shareables. They're in my Instagram stories. They're saved up at the top. And then you can just share with us your favorite happy hour guest or tell us who you're dreaming of having on the happy hour. I cannot wait to see who all you mention. Okay, friends, today's show, my guest is Lauren Green McAvee. We sat down together before the coronavirus pandemic in my tiny house, and I cannot tell you how much I miss having my friends come in the studio space and record. Like my friend Jamie Nato says, there are better days ahead for sure. This conversation with Lauren is going to be a tremendous encouragement to all of us so we can believe and hear that God is where we find our contentment and not in our circumstances. Lauren shares stories from her life about this, and it's going to be so relative to us right now where we're living. Lauren shares about her journey to becoming a mama, adopting her little girl Zion after seven years of walking through the process of adoption. And then she shares about how only being home a couple of weeks, they began the journey of walking through childhood cancer with their daughter. Praise God, she's on the other side and in remission. And during Lauren's story today, you're going to hear how she fought to stay close to God in the middle of this painful journey. And I know, I am so certain this is going to be an encouragement to you. Friends, if you're listening to this in real time, we are now entering the sixth week of the Bible study, Your Story Matters, which we've been going through together as a community online. And I cannot believe it, but we've entered the very last week. It's a six-week Bible study that I created because I really do believe that your story matters. I believe you have a story. I believe that God's word is full of stories. I believe that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have a new identity and that story is worth telling. It has been so fun to journey through this with hundreds of women. And I want you to know that if you didn't get to join us this time, you can jump in and do this study on your own or with some friends whenever you would like to. This week, we're talking about the lie that says no one will understand or no one will care. We believe that lie, and it keeps us from being vulnerable with our story and with the people around us. My friend, Jaleesa McCreary, who's been on the happy hour before, joins me in this teaching video for this week and shares how she's learned to walk through this and trust God with her story. If you are interested in getting rid of the lies that are keeping yourself and so many women Free from living the story that God has written for us, check out this Bible study, Your Story Matters. You can find it on my webpage, jamieivy.com slash yourstorymatters. You can jump in this week. It's not too late. And then you can jump back in and start with week one next week. It's $19. It's all online. I think it will be a huge encouragement to you. Text her girlfriend today and ask her if she wants to join with you. Okay, here's my conversation with my friend, Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great because we've been trying to do a happy hour together for a long time. <laughs> yeah. and finally, you just moseyed on down to Austin from Oklahoma City, and here yeah. we are. Here we are. 
Okay. Austin, Texas. Introduce yourself to my people. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Lauren McAfee. I live in Oklahoma City. Born and raised there. I've lived there all of my life except for a year stint that I had in New York City. Lived in Manhattan and absolutely loved it. But Oklahoma just got me back. You just kept coming so, back. Yeah. Came back. Went back to Oklahoma. It's all, all my family's there. But I work for Hobby Lobby at the corporate office there in Oklahoma City and have worked for in and around Hobby Lobby for over a decade and love it. But I also just like to do things on the site. So I am a writer. I uh, get to do some speaking and I've been married for 10 years to my best friend. And we also now have a little, little girl, a little daughter. She turns two very soon. Sweetest little girl. <laughs> She's very cute. <laughs> you sent me a video last night of you and her, and I showed it to my daughter, and we just loved it. it so She's sweet. so funny. She has a lot of personality, and we're just loving getting to know her. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really it's been a really fun season to see what it's like to be a mom. So we're, we're going to jump into that and talk to that about a little later, because okay. she's been home with you guys for five months. <laughs> yeah, five months now. From China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that. But you also... Can you tell us what else you do? Because you do other things too. Are you working on your PhD still? (laughs) Yes. I know all the things you're doing. Yes. Yes. I am in school. So I'm a PhD student studying through Southern Seminary, which is in Louisville, Kentucky. And they have a great modular program where um, I'm able to do my studies and writing from home and then go on campus one week every semester. So I'll be on campus in May for a week of class and doing a lot of reading and writing in the meantime, but I'm studying ethics and public policy. And so it, it kind of is a I guess a way to summarize it is public theology, kind of where do we figure out how to helpfully apply our theology and our faith into the public square? That is so needed. Yeah, I'm loving it, loving it. So my husband is in the same program. We started the PhD at the same time, same program, uh, same pace. So we're kind of getting to do school together and like go to class together and stuff. It's very fun. So that's awesome. Study buddy. Yeah. My husband and I, we got married before we finished college. Uh-huh. It took us a long we time did, to get through we college. Did that too. Okay. Yeah. So, but at the end we had a bunch of classes together. So fun. It was so fun. Now this is college. We're getting our undergrad. It was we're not, we're not doing PhD <laughs> studies here, but it was fun. Yeah. And we were very competitive as well. I don't oh, know yeah. how you and Michael. Yeah. Are. Yeah. We, okay. We, we're both competitive, but we're, so I like to think that we're the most chill, like intense people that ever. So we're very competitive, but we're also very laid back. So okay. I don't know if the, how I like you that like though, bring, as long as you're yeah, both okay with that. Yeah. And so we finished our undergrad together too. We got married the summer before we graduated. And so we finished senior year together and we did the same degree. So we were both Y'all getting, I know we just apparently love doing things together, but yeah, it was so great. I, we loved going to class together. Yeah. Where'd yeah. y'all graduate from your undergrad? University of Oklahoma. Okay. Boomer Sooner. So it's kind of uh, weird being just, in Austin. You just stepped in Austin. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the other project that you've worked on. Well, I've done a lot of work in the pro-life space, kind of human dignity issues. And so my PhD is focused on human dignity issues kind of around uh, beginnings of life. And bioethics is the area that I found kind of my writing naturally lending towards. And so it made sense because I've been passionate about the pro-life work. And so I, through my work at Hobby Lobby, I'm a ministry coordinator working in the ministry investments office of Hobby Lobby, which means I get to work with the organizations that Hobby Lobby is doing its corporate giving and keep relationships with those and work alongside them. So I get to work alongside a lot of pro-life ministries and just kind of cheer them on and and work with them. And I absolutely love it. So I love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, you have a lot going because I was thinking of something else. Yeah, a museum of the Bible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making you list out all of yes, the things you're involved in. I, yeah, so, so I started my career right after college working for Museum of the Bible. I was the first person to start working for my dad. So my dad is the founder of Museum of the Bible. And I was kind of the, his first employee, had just finished my degree and started working as a curator and working with the artifacts and documenting all of them. And kind of six years later was helping launch the museum opening in Washington, D.C. And so it's uh, been open two years now. So Museum of the Bible is the third largest museum in Washington, D.C. So it's a massive museum. It's uh, top notch, world class. It's one of the most like electronically. Um, I've heard it's developed. amazing. It's so cool. So I hope that people get a chance to go if they haven't. But that has been a wonderful project to be a part of because my husband and I both have such a passion for seeing people engage in the Bible and 
Museum of the Bible is just an incredible tool to be able to point people and see, you know, the Bible's impact in our world, the history of the Bible and understand its narrative. So those are kind of the three things that Museum of the Bible I love it. shows people. So. Well, as I was sitting down, you know, today thinking through you and I's conversation, I thought of all the things that you're involved in and doing <laughs> and have been through and have ongoing, I'm like, where would we even get in 45 <laughs> minutes to 60 minutes to talk about all these things? So I'm going to try to get to all of them. Okay. <laughs> because I really respect you a lot mm. and love all that you're doing and got to spend just a couple of hours with you this summer. We were at an event together. And so let's jump in. Okay. First question. Museum of the Bible. Yes. I didn't know you were a curator, so I think that's yeah. really cool. What's one of the most amazing things when you think about that entire, what is, I mean, how many floors is that museum? Yeah. So it's a uh, six floors yes. in the museum. Yeah. And there's And very interactive. Yeah. Interactive. There's all kinds of, uh, very engaging. So th- there's immersive environments when you walk through some of the exhibits and each floor is meant to look like a different type of museum. So they had different designers design the different floors so that you wouldn't get fatigued of seeing the same thing That's over good. and over. Yeah, yeah. So you'll walk into the history floor and it's very um, immersive and experiential, but then you'll walk into the narrative floor and it's a completely different experience. So it's very, yeah, it was very thoughtful in how the designers created it. But one of the, I mean, it, it was such a privilege getting to work with firsthand with these artifacts. And so I was, you know, helping make sure that they were recorded and being taken care of and we would travel and do exhibits. And so I got to work with the team that was helping me pack them and put on exhibits and then now they're on exhibit in the museum. But getting to see, I mean, just a foot away from me, you know, these incredible documents, things like the Dead Sea Scrolls or the earliest writings of a portion of the New Testament that is in the world is it's very incredible. And so I felt humbled every day getting to go to work, caring for these items um, that were these early representations of scripture when scripture has had such an impact in my own life. So that was just, it was like a dream. Yeah, it was my first job out of college. I loved it. Do you think, when I think about the Museum of the Bible, like I was even thinking when you're talking about like the first, one of the earliest editions of what we know as a New Testament now, Mm. when you think of the Museum of the Bible, do you think this is a museum for people who love God's word or is this a museum for people to believe and trust that God's word is real? Both. Okay. Yeah. So so the museum was created in mind of, you know, we wanted every age to be able to engage. So there's lots of very fun, interactive children's type activities, but then there's all the way up to very scholarly. So if you're, you know, finished a PhD and you're a scholar studying this type of thing, you can go in and still have really great deep content there that's available. It just kind of depends on what you're wanting. But we also wanted to make it accessible for people who have maybe studied the Bible their entire life or have never mm-hmm. read the Bible before ever. And so you can kind of choose kind of the path of how much information, what depth, and it's so engaging and user-friendly that someone who's never read the Bible before and doesn't even know what the Bible's about can walk in there and get a really, I, I feel like a really good glimpse and understanding of kind of the broad picture of what the Bible is. But, but someone like me, who's you know, study degrees, trying to study the Bible to understand it better. There's so much to uncover in the Bible that I still go in every time and see something new. For sure, yeah. So yeah, it, I, I do think it does a really nice job of kind of capturing all of that. I can't wait to go. We were in DC this summer and I think I probably texted you and we tried so hard, but we were there for like 30 hours and <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just crazy. <laughs> but I want to talk about your love for the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and your husband, Michael, actually released a book called um, Not What You Think, Why the Bible Might Be Nothing We Expected Yet Everything mm-hmm. We Need. And you guys wrote this, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like this was written for... Maybe millennials? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I remember reading. I read that. When did this come out? So it came out summer of 2019. Yeah. Oh, last summer. Yeah. I read it last summer. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, So as millennials, we've seen a variety of responses that our generation has had towards the Bible and seen a lot of negative views that have come from some various, various places, Uh, some, you know, for good reason. And some maybe just hadn't been really fully thought through. So we wanted to just encourage our generation, you know, if we're the open-minded generation that we say we are, we need to give this book a chance because the Bible has had such an impact on our world that to be ignorant of its message and what it what it's about is to be ignorant of a lot of things that have shaped our own culture and our country and things, I mean, not, not only in our country, but around the world. So, yeah. so we try to 
kind of take a step back from our own experience. We've both grown up in the church, and so we understand that we have that bias. And so we we put that out there on the table and say, you know, we recognize we have this bias. We try to step back and say, you know, if we are looking to the issues that our generation has in terms of what's shaped our perspective on the Bible, some of them are understandable. A lot of it had to do with hurts that people have experienced from people who claim to read the Bible or believe in the Bible. Right. And so we recognize the reality of that and and try to say you know, we apologize for those experiences when people did not live out well the message of the Bible and, and encourage them. We hope that because of someone's misuse of the Bible or someone not acting uh, fully authentically out the message of the Bible, we hope that doesn't keep them from actually mm. engaging with the book themselves. And so we encourage people you read the Bible for yourself and then come to a decision. Cause we found that a lot of, a lot of our friends, millennials, and, and also we talk about Gen Z, the next generation but below us just haven't engaged in the Bible, haven't read it. So they're forming their opinion based on sound bites they've heard or a personal experience they had with someone who reads the Bible. And those do influence us, but we, let's look at the book for ourselves. Yeah. Read of yourself and, and be informed about the decision you're making when you're dismissing. I just saw Erica Campbell, who is a duo of Mary Mary. Remember Mary Mary? Yeah. Okay. She put on Instagram this morning. I just thought of this just when because you were talking about this. She said a lot of young people are leaving the church mm-hmm. because they grew up in the church, but there was a disconnect between their parents, what they said their faith was and yeah. what they acted like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely was the case, whether yeah. it was a parent or someone... It's- a leader in the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there, there's been a lot of harm done by individuals who haven't lived out faith mm-hmm. well, but also we recognize we're all human. I'm not going to yeah. live out my faith perfect. Right. And so I think there needs to be grace there too for those of us who fail every day to effectively apply the scripture to every part of our lives. But as a believer, that that's a part of the journey is how can today I be sanctified in applying, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to do its work, to yeah. apply what I've read in scripture to my life and to live that out well. And so as believers, I think we have the opportunity to be on the adventure of trying to live that out well and then constantly giving ourselves grace. But we also need to for those that have walked away from the Bible, I hope that they'll have the same grace of understanding no one's going to live out mm, yeah. their own convictions perfectly yeah. uh, every day. Yeah. yeah, I love that you say, you know, read the Bible for yourself to figure it out. Because on this show, The Happy Hour, we've had a handful of people say, you know how they knew about Jesus? Because they opened up a Bible and read yeah. it. Like he revealed oh, himself yeah. to them, which is, he says he'll do that, yes. which is so beautiful. I was telling you before we started recording, uh, we just did an interview for another podcast that, we ho- that we're going to be hosting called On the Other side and we interviewed a man and he got saved in jail not from a person he was in solitary Hmm. confinement from reading god's word oh wow i mean so when you say like go read it for yourself yeah this is what i I mean it can do it can change change your life and with museum of the bible that's something that i've seen over and over as my husband and i were raising awareness about the museum before it opens we were kind of traveling around the country sharing with people and speaking and we would, you know, invite people to come to the museum once it opened and kind of share with them, this is what the museum is about. We're inviting people to engage in the Bible. And so many people, that was their story. They'd come up to us and say, that's how I came to know Jesus was I just one day picked up my Bible and it jumped off the page in a new way. Or I was in a really dark season and there was a Bible under my bed and I opened it one day. You know, it's just amazing the work that the scripture can does. And, it's, you know, the scripture says that it's living and active. And, and but I often so many times. And then we're always surprised. Like be doubtful. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. I know. <laughs> it tells us that. My good friend, Holly, we were just having Bible study at my house yesterday. And she said it was, this week is her 19 years of being sober and clean wow. and following Jesus. And she, her funny story about following Jesus in the Bible, she's been on the show before. She was in a play and she had to play someone from the Bible. Huh. And so she went to the library and stole the Bible. Oh, wow. And then she read it. <laughs> I love it. And started following Jesus. Oh, Isn't my that goodness. Crazy? That's crazy. I, know, I love I that. The Bible's That's crazy. so cool. So Museum of the Bible, I hope to get to go one day. Yes. Now, you said your dad is the founder, founder yep, of the Museum, Museum of the Bible. Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question that I asked you in Colorado. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this or not. You work for Hobby Lobby. Yes. Your dad's the founder of Museum of the Bible. Yep. Your maiden name is Green. Yep. You live in Oklahoma City. I do. If we put all the pieces together, yeah, yeah. we would know that your family owns, started, oh, founded, founded, and founded and everything. Hobby Lobby. Hobby yep. Lobby. Yeah. 
every time I've ever seen you or met you, you have never used your maiden name ever. <laughs> like you've never said like, I'm Lauren Green McAfee. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And I, the, I remember in Colorado when we were together, I was thinking, Jamie, what would you do? Because I think I was like, I might be like, hey, everybody hold up. I'm from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> I've never seen you and I and Aww. I don't think that we could I think we could go this whole show and mm. that would never come up. Tell yeah. me why. Yeah, you know, it's a unique thing to be born into a family that growing up it Hobby Lobby was much smaller and so as a as a young girl I never felt like, you know, I just knew that my dad and my grandpa and my uncle and my aunt, like all my family worked <laughs> at Hobby Lobby, but I didn't really think anything of it. Was it, it was national like, at that point? So it, we were in probably eight states. Okay. So not completely. So today we're in 47 states. Oh, there's a few states that don't have yes. Hobby Lobby? So Hawaii, Alaska, Delaware. I Where think do they the even get states. things printed? Half price every other week. I don't, week. Know. I don't, I don't even know, know what they do. Maybe <laughs> we'll get there someday. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry to all yeah. of you guys if you've never been in a Hobby Lobby. Okay. So, but yeah, it was much smaller. So when I was growing up, we were just in the eight kind of states around Oklahoma. But then as I got older, I started kind of understand and Hobby Lobby was growing in, when I was in college was when my family had a Supreme Court case, the Hobby Lobby Supreme Court case that kind of I guess, pushed the company and the, the Green family in the public eye in a, in a new way that it hadn't been before. So kind of through that, you know, we each had to learn how we navigate that. And and so there are a lot of lovely things that come from getting to be a part of a family that is like my, you know, owns Hobby Lobby. But there's also some really interesting dynamics that it brings as well. And so I've seen my grandparents and my parents' generation just model really well wanting to have humility in everything that they do in how they treat others and how they run the business and seeing our identity not as in Hobby a Lobby. last name or a company or you know any kind of status or wealth it's simply in who we are and how Jesus sees us and so because of their example i think that for my generation um, we've tried to apply that same same thing because we just saw it so beautifully lived out and so yeah i mean i don't know we don't you know we don't always do it perfect but jesus is our identity yeah. and it's not yeah so well i was super impressed with it well thank you and now i just told everybody that's listening <laughs> <laughs> that you're green uh, <laughs> but i was really super impressed and mm-hmm. but i also remember uh this is little same fruit different fruit from where about the story I'm about to tell you is I think I probably said this on here before when my husband was like in publicly people would know who he was Mm -hmm. and I would go into church and you know pastor's wife I would never say my last name yeah because I didn't want to be Aaron's wife yeah I wanted to be me sure and so I'm there might be a little you know I think there might be a little bit of that in everyone that comes from notoriety whatever if you're a pastor's wife or your family owns Hobby Lobby yeah which I think goes back to the identity thing for me because I am a Enneagram number three okay so sometimes I apologize what is your husband because he's a seven oh okay yeah so we're both high energy numbers Mm -hmm. which is kind of why we're all over the place but with that I, I like to achieve things and so for me it it could be easy for me to see that people can look at me and say, well, anything you've achieved is really only because of your maiden name. And you want to say, and it's like, well, but I want to achieve things like for me. Uh So that's also, I've had to wrestle through that and be like, okay, Jesus, like even if that were true, like that's Even if people thought that. Yeah. Like that's okay. Like I don't care who gets, you know, the credit, if I don't get credit for anything that I've done, that's, not the point. The mm-hmm. point is Jesus getting credit. And so not letting that identity also kind that's of be sanctifying a thing. right so, there. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's okay. Jesus, it's for you. Aaron always throws in when I tell that story that anytime I wanted anything, I was for sure <laughs> <laughs> to use my last name. You know what I mean? Like yes. he's like, Oh, you were all big and bad and you just want to be Jamie. But when it. you know push comes yeah, to shove, yeah. you're like, Oh yeah, by the way, oh, that's I don't my know husband. If I mentioned. <laughs> yeah, by the way. That would be my struggle oh, if I was so a green funny. family member. I'd be like, listen, I'm my own person. But hey, can I get invited to this? <laughs> yeah. Did I mention who my grandpa is? <laughs> I love so, it. So good oh for you. Gosh. Okay, so Museum of the Bible, Hobby Lobby, me asking you the question that I asked you in Colorado. Okay, I'm going to go down the list of all the things <laughs> I also want to talk to you. Okay. Now, one thing that I think we should talk about, and I don't know if you're ready to talk about this yet, yeah. is your journey to motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. From what I understand, it's been a long journey. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was, it was that. It was long. So my husband and I have been married 10 years. And for seven years, we've been pursuing becoming parents. And so we started the adoption process. We That was how we both felt God was calling us to start our family was through adoption. And so we pursued adoption for seven years, international adoption. And the international adoption scene, if anyone's been following it, has been a little iffy the past 10 years. Um, A lot of countries have gone through uh, changes. Um, So one of the countries that we started pursuing ended up closing after we'd been in the program for three years and we're really close to getting matched. So that was heartbreaking. And so then we were kind of back to square one and we switched to another country that was our agency was piloting and then that one didn't work out. And Mm. so then we were had like, a six-month waiting period before I was old enough to apply for the China adoption mm-hmm. program because you have both parents have to be 30 to adopt from China. So then we started the adoption process in China and that took a year and a half before it was final. So kind of total, it was seven years of pursuing adoption. And and in that, we also started pursuing, whenever we realized, okay, adoption is not going to be happening anytime soon, we started pursuing having children biologically and discovered that we were going to have the infertility story. That That's our story. And so we have you know pursued trying to have biological children as well. And that hasn't worked out still to this day. So yeah, it just took a while, but we did, yeah, in September of 2019, finalized our adoption of our daughter, Zion, from China. So she has uh, been in our lives now for five months. Beautiful. And is amazing. Beautiful. We love her. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. 
Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. So, you know, a lot of people have stories similar to yours, whether mm-hmm. that be all trying biologically or trying for adoption. It's funny because, you know, we get married and we just have this false idea that yeah. it's just going to go in order that it should. We're going to yeah. get married. Whenever we decide to have children, we're going to have it's children. Gonna work. They're mm-hmm. all going to be healthy. They're yeah. all going to <laughs> be kind and awesome and love their siblings totally. and never do drugs or have sex or <laughs> run away. You know, right. like, yeah, we think totally all these the things and yeah. then life happens. Yeah. And so now you're kind of on the other side of this. Yeah. And, and I would imagine that in the midst of those seven years, you've had probably cried a lot of tears yeah. and yeah, had a lot sure. of discouragement. What do you feel now? Like you're five months in <laughs> and it's not that we can't disregard oh, what the seven yeah. years brought. How do you kind of look back on those seven years now? And, and you know, with the same like, it's, there, it's always a, a hard ground to talk about it when you're on the mm. other side because yes. there's so many people that aren't and that yeah. might not ever be. And so it doesn't, we don't want to devalue what you went through or what yeah. you felt. So let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just reflecting on our infertility and failed adoption journey for so long. Um, just reflecting on it this week and thinking about how I... Yeah, the conversations I'd have now with friends that are still in that journey, I feel like since I'm on the other side of it, it's hard for me to consider how to love them well and relate, even though that was me for so Mm -hmm. many years. You know, all of my, basically all of my friends had had their children or walked out of that infertility and had been on the other side of it before me. And so, um, yeah, we each handle grief and disappointments differently. And so, you know, people have often asked me, how do you handle encouraging someone who's in that or, you know, having a conversation? And it's like, it's really a case by case. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, but I think being a good listener and asking questions, thoughtful questions is, and getting a feel for where the other person is, is kind of the the one thing I can say. Yeah, it's definitely, you, you know, you go through seven years of disappointment, you know, month after month and year after year, and you don't, even once you have the fulfillment of that desire, you're still having to process through, I lived through so much disappointment and hurt that it still affects you. And so I definitely, I am so grateful to have good community because I don't know how you kind of walk through that without good community. And so I am so grateful. I have friends that are very supportive and, and still are a listening ear. And cause then you, you have, you know, we have our daughter now, but then that also brings a whole slew of new interesting challenges of trying to figure out, okay, what now what Mm -hmm. we're parents, like this is a whole new journey that we have to figure out how to do well and navigate and kind of juggle all the pieces of your life and add in a little tiny human. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting that you say, even after walking through all those, and now that you have the fulfillment of your desires that you have in your baby girl, (laughs) that you're still having to work through things that you experienced for seven years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also a misconception Yeah, is that when, if this were to happen, that all that pain would go away. Mm -hmm. And that's not really all true, is it? Yeah, no. Well, and two, grief is a weird thing because it'll hit you at different times very differently. Are you still grieving some of the things you went through? Yeah, 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 for sure. And also, I mean, my husband and I are still in the infertility journey. So we plan to pursue more adoptions and and still continue trying to have biological children. We want to have a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. I am one of six and loved having tons of siblings. And so we're still in it. That's interesting too. Yeah, because you're not on the other side of this. Right, so. So yeah, so it's a very interesting thing to, sometimes it feels like, well, I can't, I shouldn't talk about it anymore because we have our daughter. And of course she's like the light of my life and I absolutely love her, but it, yeah, it doesn't You mean, feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes yeah, talking about it yeah, still. Yeah. Saying like, well, I'm still experiencing infertility too. Like guys, we mm-hmm. still want more children. So yeah. Humans are so complex, and I think that we like to try and make emotions fit into a box of how we think they should play out, and it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work <laughs> and that way. So, as a, a Enneagram three two, particularly, we can often, th- I generally can often kind of suppress my emotions until I'm ready to deal with them and kind of 
feel like I can check off the box in terms of successfully accomplishing, like wrestling with the emotion. But I just have learned that that's not how actually it works. So I'm married to an Enneagram 3. So I know you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know all about you. (laughs) You know, it's just so interesting because it it is like you said, this grief and you and your husband probably process grief. Everybody processes grief so differently. Mm -hmm. So then you're having to walk that journey too of how do I love him well? Yes. In what he needs in the midst of me having needs as well. Yeah, that I feel like has been one of the things that I've had to practice the most over the past five months since we've become parents is learning to have grace for how we are processing transition and emotions and things because we do very differently. He's much more reacting in the moment and I... I'm like, I'm going to get to that emotion maybe in three months and then I'll and be, then I'll let you know. and then I'll feel it, <laughs> yeah. but I don't feel it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How have the past five months been? And I mean, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've had four children and I've transitioned yeah. and all the things. So how has it been for you? Yeah, it has been not what I expected. Tell me why. So much harder in a lot okay. of ways and so much better in a lot of ways than I ever expected. So I was reflecting on, talking to a friend this week, reflecting on kind of what I'd expected going into having a daughter. And I cognitively and cerebrally, I knew I wanted kids. So it was like a mental thing for me. Like, I want kids. This is a good thing. This will be great. But my emotions weren't there. I wasn't the woman that was like, I just want Mm -hmm. kids and I want to be a mom. Like, wasn't necessarily me. I'm not super nurturing. So I knew I wanted kids and that that was like a goal in life. So I kind of think I expected like to like my kids and, you know, that would be a really cool thing to love on them and try and raise them up to know Jesus. But I, it surprised me how much I enjoy being with my daughter. Like she's just fun to hang mm-hmm. out with. Like I like being with her and for I've never been the person to go hang out with kids. And so that surprised me. I love that. I like, oh, she's the best. I just think she's the best yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's been really fun. Well, and if you can post more photos on Instagram yeah. of you and her in <laughs> matching so robes, I'm just going to die. Okay. Oh my gosh. We loved that. That I was know. the best. I want to match her all the time. because You can because you're in charge so right fun. now. In a couple <laughs> yeah. of years, you will not be able to. But for now, yeah. you're in oh charge. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely that mom and it's super fun. Now, you guys um, have had a harder road than most when yeah. bringing, I mean, becoming parents, no matter how you get there, is difficult. Yeah. There's transition. I mean, I know... You know, you and I both have plenty of friends who have birthed children biologically uh-huh. and had a real struggle. I mean, that's it's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. You know, there's it's, postpartum. It's all the things. Totally. And so then when you bring a baby, a child home through adoption, there's all kinds of other things and For emotions sure. that you deal with. And so becoming a mom is hard. Uh-huh. Yeah. You guys, you came home and you entered into like people's worst nightmare. Yeah. And things that we all pray and hold our breath mm-hmm. never happens to our family. And yeah. it hit you immediately. Yeah. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so we were home seven weeks. Zion had been in our life seven weeks when we went in for a medical test just to kind of, you know, having a child adopted internationally, they we wanted to make sure that, you know, she was healthy. And since we didn't have all of her health background, we just, there were some things we were going to do to make sure that we were, she was healthy and we were giving her the best care. So went in for like a routine check-in, had some tests run, and we got a phone call from our doctor and she said, the pediatrician, and she said, can you come into our office right now, like right away? And this was weird. It was like a Wednesday afternoon. Michael and I were, had just finished like having lunch with family. And so, you know, that's never a good sign. Never they're saying, good, come yeah. to my office right now because we, we need to talk about some of these results. So we went and sat down with Zion's pediatrician. We've only had her seven weeks. And they told us that they had found a tumor, a large tumor on her liver. And we needed to go right then to check into the children's hospital ER. And and so we stayed the night at the hospital. They ran a bunch new of more tests. She had cancer. And so they scheduled surgery to try and remove the tumor just five days after that, a major surgery. Um, were you in the hospital? You were in the hospital until then, right? So we were in the hospital for a couple nights and then we got to go home over the weekend and then check back into the hospital the day before the surgery. So yeah. So of the like five days from when we got her, her had her cancer diagnosis to the surgery, we were home two of those nights. You know, we, we hear your story and that phone call that you mentioned, I mean, nobody wants it. No one expects it. Mm-mm. Even when you got it and they're saying, you guys need to come here right now, were you 
where does your mind tend to go? Were you thinking worse or were you like, this is weird? Yeah. So I was trying not to assume worst case. And, you know, worst case is usually, yeah. Okay. So I don't want to assume worst case and cause myself the extra stress unless I know I need to. Mm, I live in that place. So good for you. (laughs) Yeah. And my husband tends to kind of more go to, you know, worst case and thinking about future. I kind of am like, nope, like we're just going to deal with what's happening right now Mm -hmm. in the moment with the information we have right now in the moment. And he's futuristic. So he's like, you know, way down the road. So yeah, you never expect to get that call. And I remember the doctor, she was telling us about the tumor and said, you know, it could be cancer before we had confirmed that it was. And it's, you just, you can't, you can't believe it in the moment. I mean, she had no signs of cancer, zero symptoms. There was no way we would have known except that we incidentally caught it, praise God. And, you know, there were nothing that would have told us she, you know, would have or could have had cancer. So she was just perfectly healthy on the outside, but had this massive tumor tumor on her liver, hepatoblastoma. And less than 200 cases of this are diagnosed in a year. So it's very rare. At that point, did they tell you, you knew it was cancer before the surgery. Mm -hmm. At that point, did they tell you, if we do this, then this, if this, then this, did they give you all that? They didn't go super far down the road in terms of kind of what it can mean because they wanted to do the surgery and see how well that went and we had to do some other scans to make sure it hadn't spread to the lungs because that's usually where it'll spread first thank you thankfully it hadn't so they so much of what kind of the outcomes were would depend on what getting more information yeah. Yeah, yeah and kind of what they found in the surgery so we went into it not knowing a whole lot um, except that we hoped that the surgery went well but it was stage one so it was the early stage of of the uh, tumor and cancer and since it was stage one she but it was active cancer she did have to do chemo so she had two rounds of chemo um, through December and so December we were kind of quarantined to our house we didn't take her anywhere because we didn't her immune system was compromised and we didn't want her to get sick so yeah Christmas looked very different so then you probably imagined your first Christmas yes yeah we kind of was it just the three of y'all and uh, yeah Three yeah. of us Christmas Day just yeah. at home, <laughs> yeah. which we tried to see the bright side and see like the sweetness of just the stillness yeah. of mm-hmm. us getting to have just us and her on Christmas. But it was definitely we had expected to be with family all day and all, you know our family getting to see her. Some of them hadn't met her yet, so yeah, our whole world though was just turned upside down in a moment, and you can't prepare for that, and, and you just don't expect that to happen something like a cancer diagnosis, especially in a sweet little baby, baby girl, after years of longing for that sweet girl. And then seven weeks in, cancer. How did you and Michael, I'm kind of getting all choked (laughs) up over here as well. You're a lover of God's word. Mm -hmm. We know that. And you're a mama right now, all of a sudden seven months ago, five months ago, and then this. How did your faith walk through that? Yeah. I mean, it's what got us through. I, I've i said before of, of difficult seasons, I don't know how people do something like this without faith, but having our daughter go through cancer and chemo was definitely like a next level. Like, oh, I really don't know how people make it through kind of the darkest moments of life without some kind of hope to hold on to. And so for my husband and I, you know, we feel like we had a lot of practice in that seven years of of longing, of trusting God. It was never easy, but I do think it helped prepare us for trusting him in the moment when we didn't know if our little girl was going to live, you know, very long with us. And her life was in jeopardy. So kind of throughout our infertility journey, we, and and pursuing adoption, we had written a number of articles kind of sharing about our experience, wanting to share it from our pain while we were still in it, hoping to encourage others. Cause I know that there were, there are people that are, we're walking through the same thing. And so whenever we, we're in the hospital the day before her surgery to, to remove the tumor. Some dear friends of ours who live in North Africa were in the States and 
happened to be in town kind of during this entire season. And so they got to be there. And I remember my friend at the hospital encouraging me about how much my words that I had written in Mm -hmm. different articles had encouraged her. She was like, I remember reading one of your articles that you and Michael wrote and you said, even if we never have this longing for children fulfilled, Jesus is enough. Like we want Jesus more than we want kids. And her telling me that was like so helpful because in that moment, I wasn't even remembering my own words. But I was like, I want Jesus more than I even want my own desires for Zion to be healed. I have Jesus and he is in control and he's what I want and he's what I need more than I need the next breath and more than I need Zion's cancer to be healed. Yes, of course I want that. But God is the one that's in control. We can trust him and he knows the end of our story and we can trust him with it. And he does work all things together for our good. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy or the way we want it. It's going to be what's most glorifying to him. And what we want most is Christ glorified, regardless of what that means we walk through. So our prayer became, may we glorify glorify God the best that we can through this journey, whatever it looks like, whatever the outcome is. And if, yes, we prayed every day, desperately pleading for her healing, but we were also praying, Jesus, let our hearts be more about glorifying you than fulfilling our own desires of what we want without knowing the full picture. Mm. It's beautiful. I bet you had to tell your, remind yourself of that every- Oh, every moment. Every moment. Every minute, yeah. Every minute, every minute. Yeah. And there's good news to the end of the story. Yes. Yes. Tell us the good news. So just less than a month ago, we got the good news that she is in remission. So she finished her chemo. She's in remission now. And there's uh, only a 10% chance that the cancer will come back. So she has really good odds and she is doing so well. She handled it all incredibly well. I mean, you would have thought that she thought, a hospital was a home. She just was so comfortable, uh-huh. sadly, because she'd been there so much. But she just was like super friendly and would like hang out with the nurses and was just so sweet to everyone. So she was incredible. And we're so grateful now that she's in remission and praying that it never comes back. And we are just uh, super grateful for that. But it's all still very raw because we're less than a month kind of past this cancer journey. And so it's interesting, similar to kind of the infertility and pursuing of adoption. I feel like I'm just now starting to process the emotion of it all. Because when you're in the crisis moment, you're kind of just like, okay, what do we need to do next? What do we do today? And so I really did not get super emotional. I did. I I was in like, we got to do what we got to do mode. And so honestly, the first week of the remission news, yeah, the news that we got that she was in remission the first week after I probably cried just as much as while we were in the midst of the cancer and I think it was because I was finally like oh okay like I can actually process what we just went it's through like everything was having an opportunity to come yeah. out yeah so it's been uh yeah it's uh we're in we're in a very uh, raw season emotionally yeah. I feel like um but continuing to remind ourselves of those truths, but also learning how do we walk through this in a healthy way? How do we yeah. process the crisis and how do we process all the emotion of that and how traumatic that was to watch our girl have to go through so much so that we can be dealing with our emotions in a healthy way. Yeah. So yeah. That we can be healthy the best mm-hmm. that we can and model that for our daughter Zion so yeah. that um, she'll know like it's okay to have lots of, emotion and whether it's sadness or grief or anger, but processing it and having good, honest conversations about it. And, and at the end of the day, continuing to point back to Jesus. I love it. I love what you said about your friend reminding Mm -hmm. you. And I I think about that and I think about how important friendships are that point us to the truth. Mm -hmm. Even when that's sometimes hard to hear. Yeah. I mean, in the midst of (laughs) that, what you want what we sometimes want our friends to say is a couple of things. Everything's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Or we got this. Or God's gonna heal. And those are great and they make you yeah. feel good, but none of them are actually true. Right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, and he might. Yeah. Praise sure. God. Yeah, praise God. He did heal. Yeah. 
He might not. He might not. And yeah. so there's bigger truths that we can actually stand on that mm-hmm. will not fail us. Yeah. And your friend reminding you, especially that it was something that you had said that had helped her. <laughs> oh, I just think, goodness. man, being lovers of the word and yes. being tethered to it and believing it, those things are great when things are going like, okay. You know, like you're in a season yeah. where like everything's grooving. Those truths matter then. But let me tell you when those truths matter so much yeah. is when... I almost said a bad word, but you know what? The stuff hits the fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that that is why it's so important to be engaging in the word yes. in the good moments. Yes. When it is easier. Uh-huh. Because my husband and I found that it was the constant pouring in of truth of scripture into our lives leading up to that, that is what helped give us the strength mm-hmm. to say, like, we can trust God because yeah. we've meditated on his truths. We know what he says. We know what his word has shown us. We know yeah. the teachings. And you're not thinking that whenever you're in the good seasons of like, oh, I'm preparing myself for the hard season right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. But that is what you're doing. And I mean, it's also helping us in the day to day in the good for seasons. Sure. But yeah. Yeah, it's preparing you for for those times. And in Hebrews 12, I love the, in the chapter of Hebrews 11 and 12, I'm studying the book of Hebrews right now. Chapter 12 has been significant to me throughout all the infertility journey. And then I am studying that book now with my church, the Women's Bible Study is going through Hebrews 12. And so I'm just kind of digging into chapters before Hebrew 12. And so I'm loving it because I'm like, ah, there's so much that I hadn't unlocked to the power of the kind of verses that had been so healing to me. But in chapter 11, the author is writing um, to these Jewish Christians who would have known the Torah, the Old Testament, the Torah for them. And they knew these stories and he's showing stories of people men and women of faith who went through suffering and were faithful. And then in in chapter 12, which is a chapter I've meditated on a lot the past few years and meant a lot the past five months, he's encouraging these believers who are under persecution, these Jewish Christians are under persecution at this time, to follow Jesus, who is the perfecter of their faith. And he, he says, it was the joy set before him, Jesus, that he endured the cross, which is an amazing thing to me that that Christ could endure the cross with joy. Sure. That seems crazy, but it's not because of what he was enduring and because of the cross, but it was because he knew the hope that was on the other side. And we as believers have that same hope. Like our hope is not in, yes, the awful things that happen now, but our hope is in, we have eternity with Christ and every tear will be wiped away. And that is the the hope that we have to walk through those dark seasons today. Um, the same hope that Christ had as he endured the cross. Love it so much. Just like one of my favorite verses is Romans 5. It says, it's not only do rejoice in our sufferings, knowing mm. that suffering produces endurance mm-hmm. and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Yeah. And that yeah. shame is not there. It's the hope that we have. You know, it's also like, you know, when you talk about like the storms are coming, Jesus was pretty clear about that when he was talking about building their house on the rock. And that's yeah. what I feel like preparing yes. our hearts ahead of time mm. is, is that we're all going to go through storms. Yeah. You yeah. have been through, your list is long. My list is long. Everyone that's listening is like, yeah, you should hear my mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, hey, when you build your house on the truth of me, you can endure it. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And it does something to you. Okay. Lauren, I am just (laughs) love our conversation. Thank you for being vulnerable about your story with your daughter. I know it is so dear right now. And so raw. I appreciate it. It, Yeah. It's definitely, I'm seeing the beauty in how God's using it in my own life. And so, um, grateful for the hard things because I can't remember what the quote was, but I recently heard someone say about kind of our darkest seasons are what set us up for kind of our greatest ministries. And so I always want whatever I'm doing in my life for the purpose to be to serve the Lord. And so, you know, sometimes God gives us those hard seasons because he's preparing us to be able to serve and love others well. And so I... I'm grateful for it. Getting, you said. As I say, I'm getting to a point where I can be grateful. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, yeah. Still hard, but I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you can read your old articles <laughs> and remind yourself of yeah. what is true. We have to do that yeah. sometime. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 
988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Yeah. So right now I'm loving any mother-daughter matching outfit that I can find. The best. Is there like so, a place specifically where you're no, getting these from? There, there is. I'm getting a lot of Instagram ads from, I think it's called Ivy City Company or something. It's like Now everyone that's listening is going to yeah. get these Instagram yeah. ads because our phones are <laughs> listening know, to it's us. so true. <laughs> yes. Um, but they are a company that has like, they make like dre- mother-daughter matching dresses. But some of the outfits I have, it's like, oh, like I happen to have a shirt that has a leopard and I think she has one too and kind of mo- ma- mixing love them together. It. So yeah, love loving it. matching outfits. I am also loving, this is so random, but I'm wearing them today, Harry Potter socks. Okay, I yeah, need you to know more about this. Them, but yeah, my husband got me these just a basic couple pairs of socks that are like Harry Potter. It has a Harry Potter quotes on the bottom of the socks. And I wear them all the time. They're great socks for one, but also I'm a really big Harry Potter fan. Well, obviously, so it just like makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. So that was a good uh, gift uh, from Michael, my That's husband. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And then. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I can't wait to do is take her to New York City because it's like my favorite. Those are probably my two favorite places in the world. New York City. Absolutely love love Manhattan. We loved living there. And yeah, can't wait to take her I to love my New favorite York City places. Too. Oh, it's just the best. We honeymooned there. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, I know. Almost 19 oh, years ago. Nice. Isn't that great? That is so great. So we special, I just love yes. New York City for that. Oh, that's really fun. We went to see David Letterman. Cool. Yeah. That's Cold, awesome. Coldplay was the guest. Oh, wow. We had never heard of them. Oh, funny. And wow. And they sang the song Yellow. I mean, we all know nice. it now. Isn't that funny? That is so crazy. That's like our one little fun what honeymoon a, that's story. That's a fun yeah. honeymoon memory. Yeah. What are you reading? Are, so, all, are they all textbooks? Yeah, they are. I was about to say, I have like a list of 15 textbooks right now that are sitting on my kitchen counter. Whenever and, I think about going back to school, I hear you say that and I'm yeah. like, oh, <laughs> man, yeah. I don't know about this anymore. Yeah. there. So the theme of our seminar class right now is like religious liberty and kind of what that means for people of faith and looking at how religious liberty applies in a religiously pluralistic culture. So it's, it's interesting stuff, but it's like, you know, I got to read like 2000 pages worth of textbooks. So yeah. Are you so reading I'm, anything for fun? So for fun, I like to find some, like an audio book that I okay, can listen, yeah. like commute. And so sometimes that's Harry Potter. I'll just like listen to the audio book because it's just kind of like easy to have it. on in the background. But for my actual reading, I'm doing Jen Wilkins Bible study book right now, which isn't so much like a book, but it's a Bible study, but her book on Hebrews, which is called Better. Oh that's yeah, it's what, new, it's recent. Yes, it just came yes. out. So that's what I, that's what's on my nightstand right yeah. now. Because you're studying Hebrews yeah. at your church. Yeah. Are yes. you doing her Hebrew study? Or you yeah, guys, okay. her Hebrew study. Yeah. I've heard great things about it. I just yeah. listened to her on an interview with my friend Lisa Whittle and they were talking oh, about Hebrews. Yeah. yeah, I love Jen's, she's great. She's I love her too. Really Have great. you read her book, Women in the Word? Women in the Word. Yep. In the Word mm-hmm. or of? Of the Word. Women of the Word. Yep, I read that. So good, I highly recommend. So good, love it. Yeah, I definitely, I recommend that one Her new one, In His Image... I haven't read it yet. I haven't either. It's on my shelf. It's a, it's a yeah. book I want to read. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Same. I just really I value her yeah. words she's and leadership great. and Bible study. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Okay, I love it, uh, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for having it me. It is so such fun. a joy. And <laughs> you guys don't forget, not what you think is the book that she wrote with her husband Michael that mm-hmm. came out last year. And if you have a millennial in your life or me, I read it. I'm 42 yes. and just loved it. So <laughs> get the book for them. But thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Friends, I could have talked to Lauren for so many more hours, and I hope that we have more hours together in the future to chat. 
I love her love for the word. And I could have listened to stories forever about how she has seen God in the midst of circumstances that felt so hard and she's seen his goodness. My heart is overflowing with hope for our next generation. What Lauren said about Generation Z having their faith shaped by sound bites and not the living word gets me fired up to keep reaching out to that younger generation because I want them to know the love of the creator. I want them to know God so intimately and I want them to know that that comes from reading his word and being connected to his people. Maybe right now you're thinking of a younger girl or guy in your life. Maybe you'd like to send them a copy of Lauren's book. I highly recommend it. It's called Not What You Think and you can get it anywhere books are sold. Let's keep engaging with the Bible and let's keep connecting with those who are coming up after us. It is so, so important. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is Lori Ferguson Wilbert and we had an incredible conversation all about physical touch and the ministry of touch. Somewhere in the mess of our assumptions and fears about touch, there's something beautiful and good and God-given. Lori talks about how Jesus can show us that there is ministry in touching and how we are to handle it with care. Her new book, Handle With Care, is out and you can get it anywhere books are sold. I read it and highly, highly recommend it. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a virtual happy hour with a friend and I'll see you next week with my friend, Lori. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.